Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week in our next segment. It's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Still no NBA basketball. We'll break down the latest from the NBA labor front in our next segment. In segment three, it's John Aurand, our friend from the Sports Business Journal. He covers sports media. We'll talk about TV ratings for the World Series. Will the ratings suffer because we don't have the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Phillies, a big market team in there? We've got Texas and St. Louis. And then also, how are the NFL TV ratings doing thus far after six weeks in the season. That's with John Allen in segment three. Segment four, Maury Brown, some World Series discussion. Also, what's the future hold for Albert Pujols and for Prince Fielder, the two prize free agents in baseball this offseason? A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at SB Radio. I'm joined by Brian Griggs, our executive producer. B. Griggs, are you watching the World Series? I am, yep. Uh, a couple of good games under our belts, and uh, it's always fun. I mean, uh, the World Series is just a cool event. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm not a huge baseball fan throughout the season, but playoff baseball is, I, I can't miss it. I'm sitting there watching it every night. It's interesting to me because Pujols is one of the biggest names in baseball. He's one of the best players. These two teams are really well-coached teams. They don't make a lot of mistakes or errors. It's it's well-played, well-executed baseball, but I know they're not the big market. So, so far, the TV ratings have not been great. All right, our headlines of the week coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. It's time for the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Headline number one, as it's been for the last several weeks, the NBA lockout continues. And the thing that was different this week, Griggs, is that George Cohen, who is a mediator, federal mediator, he's helped resolve the Major League Soccer labor front. He helped the NFL get a deal done. A lot of people had high hopes George Cohen involved with the NBA. Well, they had a 16-hour marathon session during the week. Then they came back and they met 24 and a half hours in total with George Cohen before on Thursday finally walking away from the tables and George Cohen essentially saying, you know what, these two sides are too far apart. And he walked away after three mediation sessions. Now, there may be more in the future, but Griggs, try this on for size. The NFL and George Cohen... The players, the owners, they got together for 17 sessions. So how bad must things be for the NBA if George Cohen is disengaging after three sessions and saying, I throw my hands up and I give? Yeah, it's just got to be, I, I can't imagine being in those meetings. I mean, then that just sounds like the worst horror movie ever. David Stern <laughs> went home sick. I would have gone home sick, too. Exactly. How do these guys live? <laughs> I mean, that is, just sounds terrible. And yeah, you're right. Throwing the hands up after just these couple meetings, that's uh, not a good sign for the NBA. Definitely not. As I've been saying for months, this is not a negotiation. This is the owners saying to the players, here's what we want. Give us what we want or there is no deal. So people ask me all week long, gosh, Berger, they've mediated for 24 and a half hours. And then you have George Cohen walk away. Then you have Blazers owner Paul Allen, Spurs owner Peter Holt, and several others. Suns owner Robert Sarver, Cavs owner Dan Gilbert. These are the Hawks in the group. And so far, it seems like the Hawks are controlling the owners. But they have said to their colleagues, this is what our number is. We are not budging from this number. And, you know, reports are that they've given the players a take-it-or-leave-it offer and that the owners want their pound of flesh and they are not going to rest until they get their pound of flesh. So, Griggs, as we've said also many, many times, the players do not have leverage here. They just don't. The only option they have at this point is to decertify, and I don't know that that's the best option for them. Um, I guess the one thing it would do is throw some fear into the hearts of NBA owners and the NBA league office because they'd have to open all of their books. I don't know that they want to be that forthcoming with all of their financials, but... This isn't going to end anytime soon, sadly to say. Yeah, you've got what it is. It's, it's two groups of super competitive people. You know, the owners and the players, both a lot of money on the table, very competitive. And when you get those competitive types together, nobody wants to break because they want to be the winner. And the thing that's amazing is these two sides started off. The original offer by the owners to the players was 61% of the BRI for the owners, 39 to the players. This is after, after the players have been getting 57 They've narrowed that gap to essentially a 49-53, even a 50-52 to window. So we're talking about at most 4% when you started at 61-39, but they cannot bridge that final 2-4%. to 
And then the other thing is, is that there's this mistrust that is every day that goes by and these go on longer, there's more and more animosity that's building between these two sides. So I think more games will be canceled soon. I would expect some games to be canceled this week. And I think David Stern and the owners are going to try and send another message to the players. Now, our next headline, and this may become a fad across the country. I don't think, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think you're going to have any uh, merit when it comes to filing such a lawsuit. But the city of Memphis came out this week and said, we're going to lose $18 million in revenues generated by Grizzlies games. By the way... We have bonds that we have to repay to the city. So in a nutshell, this $18 million shortfall may be have to pay by taxpayers. Well, the city of Memphis and the taxpayers are not real happy about that. They've talked about, hey, maybe we'll sue the NBA. Will other NBA cities try and follow suit and say, look, we've got bonds to repay. It's lost revenue when NBA games aren't being paid. Taxpayers and the city is going to get stuck with that bill we're going to sue the NBA. And that's a whole other mess that you know is just starting to crack the surface. And I think you're right with the, some of the smaller market teams, too, that don't have that huge, huge revenue share with TV deals and all that. I think you will see that. And that's going to be just another more courts, more lawyers, more time spent away from playing the game. Well, you want to talk about lawyers. Here, here's another headline for you, switching topics quickly. This whole Dodgers mess. We're talking about Dewey and LaBeouf. Remember the firm I told you about at the beginning of the summer? They've worked on the NFL lockout. They've worked on the NBA lockout. And they've worked on the Dodgers, Major League Baseball, divorce, whatever's going on there. We know Jamie and uh, Frank McCourt have officially worked out divorce settlement. So Frank will own the team. Jamie will get $130 million. But the lawyers, Griggs are going to get $3.4 million. That's their tab so far, including 600 and some odd thousand dollars for September. So that firm, we talk about a tough economy. That firm is seeing the year of a lifetime between NBA lockout, NFL lockout, and Dodgers debacle. Yeah, it's it's only good for them. I mean, they're they're loving this stuff. They're like, hey, let's Man. have some, let's have the NFL fall apart again. We're good. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Well, I wonder, you know, George Cohen, here's a mediator. I'm sure he made a pretty penny for he and his team coming in for 24 and a half hours straight, pretty much, trying to work with the NBA this week. All right, let's switch topics to the World Series. And the World Series is going on. Ratings for Game 1, down 8%. Lowest rated Game 1 since 1987. And we'll talk more about the ratings with John Auren, the sports media reporter from the Sports Business Journal, coming up in our next segment. But, Griggs... As Major League Baseball feared going into the playoffs, if you didn't have the Yankees or Red Sox or Phillies in the World Series, it was going to be a tough draw for TV. Yeah, and uh, that's no surprise. Um, we we see that the ratings in the actual towns of the of the of the teams are doing well. Texas just blew it out. It was like I can't remember the. It was like eighty seven percent of right. people were watching it. I mean, it's that's ridiculous. crazy. Yeah, crazy. But that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a surprise. Smaller market teams, but I don't know. I mean, it's. I'm still watching it. I don't know. (laughs) I'm watching it, too, and there's a lot of Cardinals fans around the country. And I know there's more Rangers fans after their success last year being in the World Series. It's not like you don't know Josh Hamilton or even Adrian Beltre. Uh, Nelson Cruz is getting quite a following. Nolan Ryan's the owner. Dallas is not a small market. Dallas is a top 10 market. So I don't know. 
But uh, we'll keep our eyes on the ratings and we'll talk more about them with John Arend. It's still funny to see the uh, people clinching to the rally squirrels in the crowd. That's funny. <laughs> that, it's a great. Remember we talked about it last yeah. week. It's a great, great thing. It's funny. Let's switch gears and talk NFL. Dallas, New England on Fox last week was the most watched sporting event since the Super Bowl and the most watched show uh, of last weekend with 28.4 million viewers. So we talk about lots of people being hungry for the NFL. Dallas, big, big. You know, the Cowboys are iconic. Uh, New England is iconic. They come from a big market. They've got Tom Brady. So that was a great recipe for uh, TV numbers for them. And then... Two transactions this week. One, Carson Palmer goes to the Raiders, which was a little bit of a surprise. He was holding out, and he said he was going to retire unless he was traded by the Bengals. A lot of people didn't think Bengals owner Mike Brown would actually fulfill that wish, and he did. And in the process, the Bengals cleaned up. They got a number one next year, and they got a conditional first-round pick in the following year, 2013, if the Raiders win a playoff game. If not, it's a second-round pick. So you get a first-round pick and a second-round pick for a 31-year-old quarterback who's had some good years but has had some bad knees, too. And, by the way, Carson Palmer, here's how badly he wanted to go play for Oakland. His wife lives in San Jose. He went to USC. He's a Southern California guy, even though he's playing in Northern California. He has a... uh, relationship with Hugh Jackson, the coach of the Raiders who recruited him to USC and who was an assistant in Cincinnati, Carson Palmer took a $5 million pay cut. That's a lot of money, Griggs, especially for an NFL player, but he wanted to play again and he wanted to play in Oakland. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's going to be a good fit for them too. I think I see him fitting in there well. It's always go, a guy that's going back kind of home area. He's got his you know following, he knows coaches, wife and family there. I think it's going to be a good fit for him. I, I want to see him succeed because I think he's a good quarterback. He's just had some injuries and some you know be on the wrong team here and there. But it'll be interesting to see how he how he comes out in Oakland. He's going to wear jersey number three. Those are already flying off the shelves. He wore number three at USC. Um, another ticket story this week. Tim Tebow is going to make his first start this year for the Denver Broncos. Ironically, in Miami against the Dolphins, the Dolphins had already planned at the beginning of the year to honor the University of Florida national championship team that Tebow played on. So, Griggs, they've sold 20,000 extra tickets to the game in Miami. There are going to be more Broncos slash Tebow fans at that game than there will will be for the hometown Miami Dolphins. Yeah, it's funny how that all came together, and it's going to be a great opportunity for Tebow to really show the world and his team, the Broncos, that uh, he's ready to play ball. So I hope he has a good game. He's fun to watch. The crowd loves him. It'll be interesting because it'll be kind of that uh, home-away-from-home atmosphere with all the Bronco fans or the Florida fans there. I like Tebow, too. Uh, I've said it a lot. He's a hard worker. He is coachable. He makes his teammates energized and tries to make them better. He's won two national championships. I know he's done some uh, political ads that have turned some people off. But you know what? Here's what I say. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, we criticize them because they don't take a stand on anything. But Tebow did, and we criticize him. So you can't have it both ways. Either you're vanilla and you never come out on any kind of political issue, or you do come out on a political issue and you stick your neck out there and you're going to get backlash for the, the position you take. 
plus he's uh, he's such a competitor on the field. You know, he just he's gonna get to the end zone. You just see it on his face, and uh, and he brings that element to the NFL that we don't see on every team is the running quarterback and the option type quarterback, Michael Vick esque. And uh, I think as a fan, I mean, I love watching it because you never know what he's gonna do, and he's not gonna just stand there and get sacked. He's gonna he's gonna move and he's gonna roam. So yeah, and you know what? People are interested in watching him. TV ratings are good. Ticket sales in Denver are up. Ticket sales in Miami this weekend are up. He's one of the top 10 selling jerseys in the NFL, and the guy hasn't even been a regular starter. So he has a huge legion of fans. It'll be interesting to see how it works out this weekend. All right, coming up next, it's John Aurand from the Sports Business Journal. He covers sports media. We'll talk about the TV ratings for the World Series, also the NFL thus far. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is John Aurand. He is with the Sports Business Journal. He is a sports media reporter. John, how are you? Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for making time to join me. I really appreciate it. So let's talk about Major League Baseball for a moment. Uh, the League Championship Series numbers, how were those? Because from what I read, they were down. Yeah, the league championship series uh, were, were down pretty significantly on on both Fox and um, and and Turner. The Turners were down. I mean, Turners were going against uh, you know the uh, the Yankees and and the Rangers, which you would expect them to be down, especially since they're getting the the NL. But they were down you know pretty significantly. I think right around forty percent. And Fox also they they had a problem with some rainouts and uh, and just different. Um, Different start times, and they were down about twenty percent. So that the the, the t- uh, TV viewership uh, for both the championship series really were hurt this year. Explain to our listeners what happens when the networks don't meet their projected numbers. Are there make goods that have to be done with uh, certain advertisers? There are make goods that that have to be done. Um, they they uh, have a number that they that they want to meet. I'm not sure what that number was for this, but it was probably close to where they would have to make a make good or not. And and what a make good is, is that if they guarantee a certain number of viewers are going to be watching the game. So if you're advertising on that game, you want to be in front of that number of viewers. And if they fall short of that, then they'll then they'll give that advertiser, 
you know, either a discounted slot or they'll just give them another slot in another baseball program or maybe even something in, in, uh, in Fox's primetime window. So that ends up, if they don't make their ratings number, it does end up costing them some money. Let's talk about the World Series, the Texas Rangers, the St. Louis Cardinals. I think it's pretty compelling. You've got Albert Pujols, who's one of the biggest names in baseball. Tony La Russa is a household name. A lot of Cards fans spread throughout the country. Texas was just in the World Series last year, and I think they've got some big names, including uh, reigning AL MVP Josh Hamilton. But it's not the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Phillies. What do you think the ratings may look like for the World Series? And it's really impossible to guess. Uh, I will give you a guess, but it depends on whether the games are close, if it goes to seven games, if, uh, if and really if the games are just kind of competitive. And storylines right now, I mean, you mentioned really the three big ones. Is this Pujols' last game in, in St. Louis, you know, Tony La Russa and Josh Hamilton. But the, 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 what really makes uh, uh, TV ratings jump is, as the storylines develop through the uh, through the series, so you know you, you'll you'll see after game one or after game two if there's something beyond just sort of you know uh, the, the games that's developing that's really going to attract the casual fan to want to tune in to, to see what happens, and that's that's what baseball and Fox was hoping for, um, and and you know they're hoping for close games and and try to get that. Last year, the, the good news for Fox is that last year they uh, the Giants and the Rangers. Uh, posted an 8.4 rating, which which was tied for an all-time low. So the comparisons to last year should be pretty good. They're not coming off like a Yankees uh, World Series or like a Red Sox Cubs Series or something like that. Um, so the comparison should be okay for 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 the network this year. John, what did you think of uh, Terry Francona in the Fox booth with uh, Joe Buck? I thought he did a really nice job. I've never been a big McCarver fan, and I, I really find Francona's insight, especially since he managed so recently to be uh, really insightful and refreshing. Yeah, I'm one of the few guys that likes uh, that likes McCarver. Actually, I think McCarver actually is is one of the few announcers that is actually goes out and predicts what's going to happen and uh, and sometimes he's right and when he's right he, he of course lets you know that he's right and, uh, and sometimes, <laughs> he's, sometimes he's wrong uh, I thought Francona was was fabulous I, I was really surprised I, I haven't seen somebody make that easy transition into the booth and, and uh, in, a, in a really long time and uh, you know if, if he ends up not managing for some reason next year. I'm pretty certain that somebody, ESPN or Fox, would be uh, would be offering to uh, the lesson in the booth because he, he he gave pretty good analysis. He wasn't scared to second guess, and uh, you know part of the, part of the problem I think brought up with John Gruden on Monday Night Football is that he's too positive about all these guys. And I didn't I didn't get that sense with uh, with Tito. Well, and I thought that Francona and Buck had a really nice chemistry. Would there ever be a chance where Fox says, "All right, sorry, Tim McCarver, we're putting Francona in that seat now"? Uh, I, I I don't think so. I, I mean, uh, anything can happen. I know the Fox guys are, are pretty happy uh, with with, uh, with Tim, and and again, I, I think that uh, you know Tim's kind of a polarizing guy. Like like I said, he, he you know people really don't like to listen to him state the obvious and people don't like to listen to him sort, sort of keep repeating the predictions if they're coming true. But, but I, I think that they're, they are happy with the way that the two of them work together. And, you know, if, if for whatever reason, I, I, I don't want to speculate about uh, Tim McCarver's health, but, you know, but that's, that was the reason that he missed those first two games. Uh, and uh, there could be an opening there for, for somebody to step in. But I know Fox is happy with him, and I, I don't think that too many people are really 
like that that worked up about Tim McCarver. My guest is John Aaron. He is with the Sports Business Journal. He is a sports media reporter. Let's talk about the NFL TV ratings thus far. Before the season, John, it just seemed like NFL fans were salivating for NFL football even more so because of the lockout. Even though there weren't any games missed, people just had that huge appetite for NFL football. Are we seeing that translate with the TV ratings? Uh, we've seen it translate a little bit, and I, I think the Sunday afternoon games are, are doing okay. I, I know NBC is is happy. ESPN has been down every single week that that, that they've had it, but they've boy they've had just an awful schedule, haven't they? They have. Part, part of the problem with uh w- w- with this is that they set an all time record last season, which beat an all time record that was set the season before, which beat an all time record that, that was set the season before. So at some point, like you're still going to be getting great numbers. But in comparison to a lot to, to the, the season before, they they got to come down at some point. I, I would I would think what the what the TV networks really are looking for here though is ESPN is, has been down every single week that they that they've had a, a Monday Night Football game. But those numbers dominate. They dominate cable programming and they dominate the you know young men demographic across broadcast and cable. And so you know. They might be down, uh, but but you know ESPN is still happy with it. And you take a look at NBC Sunday night ratings. They've won every sing every time they've had a Sunday night uh, football game. They've won Sunday night for I think it's going on like two or three years now. So I mean, if you if you take if you step back and take a look at the larger picture, people are still just consuming NFL games in in, in such a um, with such force almost that it, it, it's it's I've never seen another sport like college football is actually kind of close to it, but I've never seen another sport like that. Well, and for the NFL too, they're able to put together all these you know NFL prime time and all these other pregame and postgame shows that are successful built around that game that they're showing that day. Well, and that's the whole thing. I mean, ESPN. If you talk to any one of their executives, they'll tell you that they don't measure the success of their NFL programming by that three-hour window of a live game because they have hours upon hours of pregame, hours upon hours of postgame, and then they talk about it all week. And so the NFL feeds ESPN so much programming. And if if you were to aggregate it all across all of its networks, across its website, across its you know mobile platforms, it's it's an incredible amount of programming that's there that, that gets rated and and they're able to sell off of it so they they're they're plenty happy with it beyond what that 3 hour window does what do you think about ESPN extending Gruden for five years? I, I like Gruden a lot. I think he's refreshing. You know, like you said, he's pretty positive. Um, he's maybe not as critical of a guy, but uh, you know, I look back on John Madden's broadcast career and how he left coaching at what some people thought was his prime. And I look at Gruden and see the same thing, and it looks like he's going to stick with broadcasting for a while. Yeah, you know, when I hear Gruden, I, I don't get any sense that he's really pining to be on the sidelines. I think he gets a really uh, he gets a charge out of being in the booth, and I think he he brings a certain energy to the booth. And I, I think that's really what ESPN's taking a look at with, with him. Um, the, the the thing that I find frustrating that I, I've seen a couple other people talk about is that uh, I can't tell Gruden and Jaworski apart. Sometimes when one of them, hmm. talks, I'm not sure quite who's talking at me. Um, so I, I'm you know I would almost like for them to be back into a two man booth. And and just have a Tariko and, and Gruden, uh, but uh, I think Gruden brings a, brings an excitement and an energy, and you know he Jaws does too for that matter. But but you know he he 
just shows that he just loves being there and he wants to be there. Last question for you. Uh, we know we're in the midst of an NBA lockout. Doesn't look like it's going to be over anytime soon. Explain to our listeners about that TV money with the NBA. They've got numerous uh, network deals. And what happens with that money during the lockout? Well, they, they, they don't actually uh, pay it back. But what, what, I mean, ESPN and, and Turner end up paying the NBA uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but a lot of money per season for for NBA games. If there are no games, then uh, then ESPN and Turner just aren't going to pay the NBA for that. But then you take a look at, at the flip side, and you know ESPN and Turner also sell a ton of ads across the the, the full NBA schedule, and they they've been doing that even though it's been looking you know for for the past year like there there would be no games you know through Christmas at least, and so. You know, ESPN either going and Turner. They're either going to have to pay that money back or do the make goods that we talked about beforehand. So, at some point, like the you know, the early season doesn't really hurt. But if this starts getting into you know March and April, and if they start m- missing the playoffs next year, I mean that's a big money maker for for both Turner and ESPN. That's where they're really going to be hurt. And do you know off the top of your head when the current TV deals in the NBA are up and when those can be renegotiated? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I think it's uh, it, it's 2014 or 2015, so it's, it, they have another couple of years on it, so it, it's no time soon. All right, great stuff from John Aurand of the Sports Business Journal. Find him online at sportsbusinessjournal.com or sportsbusinessdaily.com. John, how can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I'm at Orand, O-U-R-A-N-D underscore S-B-J. Always enjoy our conversations and your insight. Thanks so much, and uh, keep up the great work. Brian, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy it. Thanks, John. Take care. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're joined by Maury Brown of thebizofbaseball.com. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Maury, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. I I enjoyed the game. I thought it was a very well-played game. Uh, good pitching, timely hitting, but I saw the overnight TV ratings this morning, and they weren't very good, were they? No, they weren't, and I, I expected this to happen, Brian. I mean, it, you, you're basically getting, uh, you know, you, you do have some history 
um, certainly with the, with the Cardinals. And there's been a resurgence, of course, of, in, of interest in the Rangers. But look, I mean, they had never been in the playoffs before last year. They're going back-to-back in the World Series, which is a great storyline. But, you know, it's not like we have powerhouse brands minus the Cardinals. We don't have large markets, per se, in this. That's going to happen. I mean, the, the networks will win the day, and they're happy about that. Fox has always said that they're happy about it. But, no, the rating numbers were not high, and I kind of expected that to happen. Last year's World Series, lowest rated ever. Do you think this World Series will be even lower than last year's? I do, Brian. I do, because there was the compelling storyline with the Giants. And, you know, they had not won a World Series since they had moved out west. You know, San Francisco's a large market. You had more of a, a regional um, separation there where you had a west coast market and you had, you know, certainly a team kind of in the middle of the country in Texas um, this is more kind of a line in the middle of the country. So, you know, it's hard for somebody on the West Coast to probably get excited about this. Conversely, you don't have a Yankees or a Phillies or a Red Sox team on the East Coast. So it is going to be difficult. I, I expect this to be low rated, if not the lowest. One of the major storylines in this series is Albert Pujols, who really is, if not the most recognizable face in baseball today. He's definitely in the top two or three. He's a free agent at year's end. How do you think he's faring for himself this regular season and this postseason in bidding for a new contract? Well, I mean, what you mentioned is where the distinction has to lie. I mean, if you look at the regular season, you would say, wow, he's kind of hurt himself by not reaching a deal um, in last year's offseason. If you look at the postseason, he's certainly bolstered his position greatly. And, you know, if they win this World Series, it's going to be a feather in his cap. Um, I expect this to kind of go toward the Cardinals right now. I, I have heard um, on more than one occasion that the Cardinals simply weren't going to bid against themselves, um, that they have some money basically in waiting, and this going to the World Series will help uh, you know increase their off-season ticket sales, which is an increase in revenue to try and do something here. So the difficulty, of course, is it's a ton of money. You know, it's ten-year deal that's being looked at, the highest in baseball. Whether he's worth that or not is going to be the discussion. Very hard to say that Albert Pujols is going to be the Albert Pujols we all know right now, 10 years from now. I mean, it's pretty much a given that he won't be. And that's where the difficulty is for the Cardinals right now, is trying to figure out how that works. I've said many times there's no way that I give Pujols more than five years. I can give him more money per year with five years instead of that 10-year deal, but he's 31 years old. I'm not paying him until he's 41 years old. I don't care how good he's been in the past. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to do this. The Cardinals are going to say, we have to do this to make baseball sense. What you've done in the past is great. And look, Brian, I mean, he is a cornerstone in that, in that community and certainly has a huge presence with the Cardinals. They love him. And, I mean, it does make it difficult. You're not supposed to pay for what you've done in the past, and we saw this with Derek Jeter. Now, there are ways around this. They could do certain things to try and add some flexibility to make it look like it's longer, but it's not. They could have a club option. They could have a mutual option. They could try and work it out some way to where, you know, it doesn't wouldn't be that many years. But in terms of just pure productivity, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't see him being – that guy much past five years. Even then, I mean, there were shades and discussions around the regular season whether he was already hitting his decline. So there's going to be that talk. And I absolutely have to agree with you. I would pay him more money. So his, at what they call his average annual value or his AAV would go up over, over um, a shorter span of time than having a longer deal in place. But he's going to look for a longer deal because that gives him more guaranteed money over time and, and basically a security. Here's a question for you. Going forward after this offseason, 
Would you rather have a 31-year-old Albert Pujols, or would you rather have a 27-year-old Prince Fielder? I'd rather have Prince Fielder, Brian. I, I really do. And that's those three years that I think are, are, the, are the situation that you're looking at right now. Um, I, I think that he's going to be he's not going to be the fallback. He's going to be the, the situation. I think that there will be some teams that will say, you know what, there's going to be a lot of talk about us going after, after at Albert Pujols, but we're going to focus on Prince Fielder. And that's bad for Milwaukee. I think that, you know, they would love to retain him. I just don't think that it's going to work out. And he's made some commentary in the postseason to that effect. And that's not, of course, good for clubhouse dynamic or, or for morale, but uh, I think that he's going to be a target for a lot of teams. Who are the teams that would be interested in these two players? Because you look at the two teams that spend the most amount of money on, on teams, the Red Sox and the Yankees, they're both set at first base. The Red Sox have Adrian Gonzalez. The Yankees have Teixeira. Even the Phillies have Ryan Howard, although he's injured with the Achilles tear. Who out there is going to have that kind of money to bring in Pujols or Prince Fielder? Well, I would look to the Cubs or the Giants, Brian. I think that those are two locations that could probably do something. Certainly the Giants are going to say, well, we missed the postseason and we need to do something about that. Um, and they, you know, they sold out almost every game because they won the World Series. So there is a little bit of money available to them. The Cubs are a little bit tougher because they're not, they haven't been able to get the renovations to Wrigley Field that they want, which would increase, you know, attendance and whatnot. But if they have this situation, and I expect this to get ironed out soon where they get Theo Epstein under the fold there, they might be able to do something with the excitement that would come just with having a new general manager. We're joined by Maury Brown of the bizofbaseball.com. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Let's talk about Theo Epstein. Uh, there's reports out there that he's going to be the president of baseball operations, and then he's going to bring in Jed Hoyer, who's the GM for the Padres, who used to be with him in Boston as his assistant GM. Are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, I've heard some rumors to that effect, Brian. I mean, if they can't get the situation with Hoyer to work out, they could certainly have a situation to where Theo would hold the president-slash-GM position. And we've seen this in basketball, certainly with a local individual for here with the Timberwolves and David Kahn, who's from Portland, and he holds the basketball operations, but he's basically the GM. You could see that with the Cubs, but I think that they would like to get somebody that's basically in the GM seat sitting there all the time. And the reason that Theo wants that position, if you know, it's not just a title. I mean, it insulates you. Your, your ability to stay employed in a single location is much more stable as with, with a president um, title than it is with GM, much like we've seen, you know, this off season or this at, toward the end of the season. And what we might see in the off season with all these moves that are going on around the league, whether it's the angels or whether it's the Cubs, whether it's the Red Sox, um, those are the kind of things that we're looking at. Last question for you, and I know this is one to, it's tough to answer in just a few sentences, but the Dodgers trial is coming up. We know Frank McCord is probably going to be the sole owner of the Dodgers going forward. Looks like a deal's been struck between he and his ex-wife, Jamie. Jamie's going to get $130 million. Where in the world is this going next, Maury? Well, if I was to guess, Brian, Frank McCourt won't own the team much longer because even if he wins this situation, even if he somehow gets the courts to go ahead and agree to force through uh, an auction for the media rights, which Fox, by the way, is suing for, you get something like that to happen. It just really sets a wholly bad precedent. It's going to create all kinds of problems for him. He's going to try and pay off Jamie before spring. I don't see where he gets $130 million without selling the club. I mean, it's, that's just the way that it's going to have to go. He's going to wind up, I think, with nothing at the end of the day other than a bunch of legal bills. So I, if I was a betting man right now, I'd say Frank McCourt does not own the team much longer. When does this come to a head? Explain to people the trial that's coming up and when we might finally have some resolution. 
Yeah, and the judge is going to weigh in on this starting on, oddly enough, Halloween on October 31st. And then the trial uh, will run, or not a trial, but the hearings will run through the, that week. Um, he, McCord will go ahead and testify, as will Bud Selig, and the judge will make a decision probably somewhere in the week or, or weeks after, shortly thereafter. But that decision is really going to drive the, what happens here with the Dodgers. I mean, if he says that that auction process can't go forward, with, which basically would have McCord throw up the television rights and say, all right, Fox, you've got your deal, but we want to bring in maybe Time Warner and get a bunch of money that infuses it. Baseball said it's dead on arrival. The, the judge basically has to get around a contract that has expire the TV contract and get around league rules and say that that's going to get forced through. I think that we start to see some form of direction on the resolution sometime in November, end of November, early December, and we start to see where we're heading from there. And if Major League Baseball seizes control of the Dodgers, how do they find an owner? Do they just put it up for sale themselves? How does that process work? Yeah, I mean, they'll probably get somebody to broker the deal that'll help, you know, make that happen. But look, Brian, I mean, there's going to be interest in that team. I think everybody knows that it's just been driven into the ground as of recent. The Fox deal will get renewed. Then the league will say, okay, now we can do this because you're not going to take the money and use it for, for expenses that you shouldn't be using it on, which Frank McCord has been saying that he wants to do. They'll approve it. We saw this with the Texas Rangers. This is exactly what happened prior. So I think that there's a lot of value in it. It wouldn't surprise me if it was $1.2 to $1.5 billion that the sale goes for. You'll see wow. a large Los Angeles contingent involved in it. The league will want to see that, and certainly the city of Los Angeles will want to see this, given how Frank McCourt, who is from Boston, had that whole thing go sideways. And that would be the most expensive price ever played, paid for a Major League Baseball team, right? Oh, by a considerable margin. I mean, you know, you were looking at, I believe it was $845 million for the Cubs, but that included Wrigley Field and a 25% share in the regional sports network. So, I mean, it would absolutely be the largest by a considerable sum. We've never had a sale above a million dollars. This is the one I think that you're going to see that. Unbelievable stuff. Great stuff, Maury. Always appreciate having you on. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. How do people follow you on Twitter? They can find me at bizballmory. That's B-I-Z-B-A-L-L-M-A-U-R-Y. Thanks, Maury. Always appreciate it. Take care. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Talk to you soon. This is SBR. Back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We're back, and before we wrap things up, our hearts go out to race car driver Dan Weldon, who lost his life this week, his family. He's got a wife, two young kids, and just the whole motorsports community, Griggs. Uh, A terrible tragedy at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend, and... This is a reminder of how dangerous that sport is. And 
I'm not a motorsports expert, but from everyone I've listened to, there were too many cars on the track that day. When you race on an oval and you're going at those speeds, the margin for error is almost nil. And when you have one guy bump another car, it's a chain reaction. I mean, it really is almost a miracle in a 15-car accident that only one person lost their life. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a terrible tragedy. And the thing is, when you see somebody lose a life in a sporting event, so many people see it happen. So it's just, it hits you even harder, I think, than just you know a normal person dying. It's, it's seen by so many people, and it's tragic. And yeah, it's an ugly scene, definitely. We talk about crisis PR. I do PR for a living when I'm not hosting this show. The airline industry, really good at it. They're very prepared for if a plane goes down. I thought IndyCar did a fantastic job handling the crises that arose at this race. And I thought it was really classy that the drivers went back out and did a five-lap salute to Dan Weldon. What an emotional uh, tribute that was. But overall, I thought IndyCar did a really nice job. They canceled the rest of that race, which I thought was the right thing to do. That was just one of the most fiery crashes I've ever seen. When you have cars going those speeds, getting airborne and flying into each other, it really did look like a movie. So again, our condolences to IndyCar, to the motorsports community, and to the family of Dan Weldon. A lot of thank yous on the show this week. I want to thank John Aurand and Maury Brown. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. I'm on Twitter. You can follow me. At SB Radio. Be Grizzle 22 is Brian Griggs. At Be Grizzle 22. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. And everybody hurts sometimes. You go a long way getting yours Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 